Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk that's hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. And as a lot of you know, I've uh, talked with the publisher Lenny on the podcast before, including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon, and uh, seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft, which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk Magic Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Hello, welcome to Magic Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. Some of that beginning we might include just in the episode, since you seem to be as casual a fellow as I am and wouldn't mind just hitting it in media res absolutely fine totally totally fine so we're here doing our thing um it's yeah it's a pleasure to meet you after seeing your i, I did, did a bunch of double takes on instagram about your post because you know some of this crazy stuff people post these days like you're going through some tarot stuff next thing there's an image of bill gates and jepstein's epstein's island and you're and, and with a tarot image <laughs> somewhere there standing and you're like wait where what um you know definitely interesting. yeah we live in a really interesting time uh, fascinating stuff but yours was of a different caliber and insight and then of course when you look closer it's like okay yeah this is a serious man doing some serious research here and i had to reach out to you uh almost right away so i'm so glad that oh, thank we- you so much that's right I, and i appreciate it i i you know i'm happy to have dialogue with people and i'm really you know it's a dialogue because i i know the the tarot world is, is it is a world's been around for centuries now and so this is i'm hoping i'm making a a this is kind of like a new perspective, a new theory. And so there's a dialogue. I'm, I'm very interested in how kind of people who have been living with tarot for decades or wrestling with these images for decades, you know, what, what they have to teach me about, about what I'm saying 
And what I'm also, and my research is definitely still evolving. I'm still learning a lot of new stuff as we go along. What what got you into it? So, you know, I don't have a tarot background or, you know, a new, or I'm not really uh, a mystic. Um, I actually come from kind of a very ordinary Jewish background. You know, I come from a Jewish household. I lived about half my life in, in Tel Aviv. I've gone back and forth. Um and uh but i but i'm a lifelong student of bible just you know because i study torah like like millions of other jews around the world i've studied torah um and then about five years ago uh my wife just uh, on happenstance happened to buy a, a deck of tarot cards that she saw for sale at some used bookstore and she said oh this would be a fun uh imagination game to play with our kids so i started playing with tarot cards with our kids and I, I got intrigued. I just I thought the art was very beautiful and very intriguing. Um, and when I began to study, and this happened to be a, a copy of the Tarot de Marseille. And when I uh, was looking at the images, uh, I re- for me personally, I recognized that there were references to Bible stories in the cards. Um, and as I played with the cards more and more, I saw more references to Bible stories. And I, you know, I started reaching out to pe- to researchers and you know students of Tarot, and I would ask them about the Bible stories in the cards. And their response was that there are no Bible stories in the cards, that it's, it's something, they always had an alternative explanation, that it wasn't a Bible story, it was something else. And so I started to methodically catalog all the Bible stories that I recognized, and then slowly I started to recognize um, uh, also uh, hints of Hebrew letters, and not just Bible stories, but also Jewish holy days. And then eventually I came to the conclusion that the, the reason I was recognized this is, is, not, is not because they were Bible stories. It was actually Torah stories. And there was something, spe- it, was, it was specifically because of my knowledge of reading the Bible in Hebrew that I was able to recognize the Judaic and the cards. And long story, and so as I started sharing this more and more with other people, and people were confronting me, they're like, well, what does this mean? And what does that mean? And what does this mean? Eventually I came to the conclusion that the that the oldest version of the Torah de Marseille, the Jean Nouvelle Torah de Marseille, um, someone made a visual summary of Judaism, what I call the Torah and the Tarot. And that's really what my, my research is really exploring the Judaica of the Jean Nouvelle Tarot de Marseille. Um, and let me, so there's, there's, only, there's really only one, out of this whole story, there's only one thing I'm really confident about. I'm confident that the 1650 Jean Nouvelle Tarot de Marseille is a shorthand su- visual summary of Judaism. Someone hid Judaism in the cards. Um, after that, it gets more and more speculative. Like, I don't really know why they did it. I don't know. I don't know whether people who made the decks later had any idea there was any Jewish content. I don't know if the decks made before had any Judaic content. So, um, so basically I, I think I solved, I, I think I solved a, a little piece of mystery, but many new questions and new mysteries have popped open. There's still lots of unknowns in the story. Well, yeah, that is, it is fascinating. I mean, there's a, so much debate around the origin of the tarot. And I, I, I actually, when I was doing a recent presentation, I had a hard time. There isn't really any consensus as to how, I mean, we know where the, where, where the first deck was, right? But we don't really know how, why it was created or who created those images. I mean, so it, this is interesting. No, no one really knows. Because, and, and I've had some unfortunate debates with people. And what you find is that, Different people define tarot so differently. You know, like there are some people who say tarot was invented by the Egyptians. 
And it sounds ludicrous. You're like, well, that's, that's silly. They didn't even have paper then. How could they have had tarot cards? And what they really mean is uh, the Egyptians invented the language of telling a story with pictures because they're, they're thinking of hieroglyphics. And from that perspective, like, oh, yeah, I guess I guess you could say the Egyptians created tarot in that sense. Other people say, no, tarot was invented by the Marmelukes because they're the ones who created playing cards with this abstract imagery. And then, but most people would say tarot was invented in the in the in the 1400s by in northern Italy. They made yeah. fancy decks of playing cards. I've I've been using this deck for years. This is the uh, the Visconti, right? Right. So some people say that's that's like one of the oldest decks, or it was made that that they. Some people would say that's. That's really the origin of tarot. That's what some people would say. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, and they're, they're, they're beautiful. Like, and 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 those were those were very yeah. different than the Marseille because they, they were they were produced in batches of one. So, a fine artist would paint it. They were gilded with gold. They were commissioned works of art, and they were they were they were really precious objects that were owned by wealthy, commissioned and owned by wealthy families. Mm. Now, however, at that time they weren't really called tarot yet. They were called triumph. triumph I think they were called triumphi, which is like a play on the uh, the Roman word for a triumph. So it was like a it was like a, a parade that you could carry in your pocket, a parade of different characters. No one really knows the origin of the mean uh, of the of the word tarochi. They don't really know. It just it just after, you know over a hundred years, people started calling them tarot as opposed to triumph. Tarochi is supposed to triumphi. No one really knows why, and people debate that. So and then, the, yeah, and then the, and the second evolution is the the oldest tarot cards. They don't necessarily have these like twenty two standard picture cards, what they call the major arcana now, the trump cards. Yeah, the Visconti um, doesn't. Right, it doesn't. So, so the no one really knows exactly when or how or why it became standardized to twenty exactly twenty two, you know, major arcana. In 1995, uh, you know, my, my classmates at the Waldorf School would always want my mom to look at their chart or to do tarot readings with me. So sometimes they'd come home with me after school, you know, the cool kids to the unpopular cool kids' house. Um, but there's this one French exchange student girl who, obviously, in retrospect, she liked me, but I was too too out of touch as a 15-year-old to realize that. And she, uh, when she went back for Christmas break to France, she said she'd bring me a real tarot deck. And she brought me this. I still have it to this day. So she brought me this for my birthday uh, in 96. And it is, you know, a tarot deck, unlike anything I was familiar with at the time as a rider weight reader. Um, but yeah, it's just a deck of cards, ostensibly. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah. Oh, so that's just and they and they call that tarot. That's interesting. She said this is what she grew up playing as a kid in 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 uh, Marseille, I think. Right. Yeah. yeah so, so that's what, I mean. That's what. Um, uh, that's that's okay. And they have this dispute. Yeah. I mean, that's what that's the thesis that you know. There's this group of people that I call the um, the tarot historians. You know, and the tarot historians they would tell you. All this esoteric stuff is nonsense. Tarot is a game for playing cards. And that's all it ever was. And up until, you know, the, the 1800s, up, up until someone in the, set, in, in the 1800s decided to start using it for fortune telling, it was just a deck of playing cards. And all this fortune telling and divination, esoteric, this is a, it's a, it's a very recent in, uh, invention. It's a, it's a fantasy is what they would say in short. Yeah. And the, the deck that you're, primarily studying is a Marseille deck. Right. So my so this is so so 
We're doing a lot of work with uh, Tom Berg's exercises for the next uh, two years. Um, my that, group. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, want, I actually wanted to. I wanted to learn more about that from you. I think it's a beautiful. It's a really beautiful and interesting topic. Well, he He's lays the, character. The, the basic idea is where you know I, I've done in the back past a lot of working through the tarot uh, using Golden Dawn methods, path working, that sort of stuff. Um, Obviously, when I, I before that, I worked a bit with the, I love the Thoth deck. So I worked with Crowley Schemata for a little bit in the, my early teens, but then really committed to the Western Hermetic thing mm. for the next decade um, before I started to push the boundaries again and explore uh, different, you know, different, different models of using tarot with the Jewish tree, which is very different. But I love the way the paths are laid out with, you know, mother single and double letters. It's so elegant. And I'm a big fan of uh uh, Zev Ben Shimon, of course, um, is such an interesting writer um, and sort of modernizer of Kabbalah. Um, but what's interesting with this Tomberg and and coming from an anthroposophical background and being heavily into anthroposophy myself, though I'm very selective about what I pick and choose from Steiner and his crew, uh, the Tomberg has always been considered by most Golden Dawn adepts I know as sort of secondary grade material um especially since we're so you know the inner order of the golden dawn's very christian rosicrucian despite its mm. egyptian and pagan elements very hermetist in uh in a strange syncretic fashion and the tomberg process is again seeing the tarot and the arcana as exercises as well as doorways to philosophy and theology but he lay he makes a key change in the order of the progress of these cards so if you're working through all the cards sequentially which people like me have been doing my, our whole lives changing that sequence is always fascinating because like changing the the tree the etzheim itself you are changing your perspective on nature and god and spirit um not necessarily that those things are separate but yeah so uh, so tomberg just takes the fool starts with the magician takes the fool and puts it before the world and says, work through that, essentially. Of course, his book is large and there's more details to it. Right. So that, so that, you know, so I, I have to confess, I know very little about the Golden Dawn and the, and these various groups and what they do with tarot. I'm, I'm so, fo uh, you know, I'm so focused on looking at the Jean Nouvelle Tarot in particular um, and, it, and it, but it is very, what, what I find very interesting, I find that, you know these late these later visionaries or or creators. You know they they recognize threads of Judaica, but you know but they interpreted it as Kabbalah, and then you know, from my perspective they engaged in what someone would call as a, as a creative misunderstanding, that that you know what they what they interpreted as as Kabbalah or as a cult Kabbalah or they reinvented as a cult Kabbalah. It took on entirely new life or an entirely new symbolic meaning, and in these, when you delve into these type of symbolic worlds, I don't feel comfortable saying, you know, one is correct or one is incorrect. I mean, the, you're, you know, a symbolic world is something that's alive and that evolves and that's kind of born anew in every person's heart or eyes, um, but it is different from what I believe the the artists in 1650 were were what they intended to put there. Um, I imagine is, so the, it can't be. It would be shocking if there was any similarities at all. Do you actually, no, there's actually any? Well, there are. Yeah. I mean, I think there are some similar. Which is, there, I mean, there are. I mean, I, listen. I don't know Golden Dawn. You have to tell me. But I, I but, mean, but for me, it's like when I pick up a Jodorowsky book and I read some of the stuff he's written, and he's like kind of like a, a tarot poet. You know, you could say he. Um, 
a lot of what he writes actually does resonate which, with what I think was the original Judaic meaning. I mean, prob- probably the easiest example is, you know, if if you look at the Jean Noblet 1650 deck, the hermit is, I, my argument is that the hermit is actually a concealed depiction of Moses. And so, and when you read these descriptions of the hermit as, you know, a, a, a a source of old wisdom, a source of insight, someone who re- retreats from society and comes back um, with, with new knowledge and new revelation. I mean, that that is Moses. So there's this very interesting, you know, and, and Moses, and, and then it's like, through the, the hermit is kind of this archetype. He's like, Gandalf is kind of, you know, and Obi-Wan Kenobi is kind of the hermit. Like this, this image kind of echoes throughout our culture. But if you go back in time, the, the oldest man we know with a with a with a, a staff who went off into the wilderness with a beard, it was Moses. But like that one, so this one character keeps on taking on different faces over and over through time. And so and so so one one I think one of the fun one of the, I, I almost have this kind of belief that these this character is almost alive. You know, it's like this character of Moses is it's almost like a living character. Who, who's evolving in this in this ecosystem of symbols and he and this 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 um this being that doesn't have a physical entity is kind of taking on different shape and form as it encounters new environments and kind of our, our collective world of symbolism yeah and uh so the, the argument is that this was the intention of the author of the designer of these cards uh, my argument is that in 1650 and this was, um, you, know, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but the, the, a lot of people, when they think of the Inquisition, they think of 1492 in Spain. And, you know, like, the Inquisition was in 1492 in Spain. and um, But that's that's a misnomer. The Inquisition, the, the church is, the church kind of early in the 13th century already, the church had, had made a decision that they wanted one way or another to destroy Judaism. And it doesn't mean they physically wanted to kill the Jews, but they wanted to destroy the, the faith of Judaism. Uh, and they, they started with the burning of Jewish books. You know, in, in 1242, there was a very famous trial of the Talmud in France in which the trial was found guilty of all sorts of horrible crimes. And they made the Talmud itself illegal. And there was, a, there was public burnings of the Talmud in France. And then uh, France began to just, uh, over the centuries, they began to progressively um, exile populations of Jews from, from, from France. Many of those Jews found refuge in Spain. In 1492, when when Spain was entire when when Spain was finally united and put entirely under Catholic rule, they made the decision to exile Jews and Muslims from the, from um, from Castile and Aragorn. Uh, and basically, for for that was the beginning of the of the Church's war on Judaism. But it went on for centuries. And around in 1650, yeah. in most countries in Europe, it was illegal to be Jewish. Um, there were some Jews allowed to be in Rome, but they were imprisoned in ghettos. Um, there was there was an emerging Jewish population in Poland. There was a Jewish population in Istanbul. But in 1650, this period of time, uh, many people began to openly doubt whether Judaism would survive as a faith at all. Uh, most Jews in Europe were secret Jews, crypto Jews, um, people who maintained an entirely Catholic exterior, but had a ver- but may have had some. And, and we, there's no way to know how many crypto Jews there were because um, that was the that was the first secret society was. Uh, people, you know, the crypto people Jews. They were crypto Jews. It was it was a secret. It was it was the ultimate secret society, and um, people were still being burned to death in public for the crime of being Jewish. Um, you know, recently I wrote about my blog one one um, one really interesting auto de fe. An auto de fe is a public act of faith. It was a public burning. Uh, one really interesting auto de fe is the, is one that occurred in 1649 in Mexico City. 
Um, and it's such a great example because it shows to, to what extent the Inquisition was still going on long after 1492, and it was going on way beyond the borders of just the Iberian Peninsula. Um, and you know, in, in, in 1649, 13 people were were burned to death for the crime of um, Judaizing, which is practicing becoming a, a Catholic who lapsed into Judaic observance. And so my theory is is that um, a group of crypto Jewish artists did their best to make a tool for secret Jewish education, and that in the form of the Jean Nouvel Tower de Marseille. Um, and basically, this was the and and I, I speculate. I have a belief that prior to the Jean Nouvel Tower de Marseille, there was a wider ecosystem of what I would call Torah cards, secret Torah cards uh, that were probably most likely destroyed by the church. Um, most of the cards that we have that were created in the in the late 1600s or 1700s are copies of copies. And in these copies of copies, you can see a, a gradual deterioration in the Judaic content. So the, uh, the, some cards have concealed Hebrew letters, but in later versions of these cards, the Hebrew letters are, are reversed or Judaic ritual object gets distorted or disappears. And by the time you look at the cards at like in, this, in the late 1700s or the 1800s, these are copies of copies of the Tower de Marseille, you, you would never, no one would ever know there was any concealed Judaica. And, and if I myself, if, I had, if someone had never shown me the Jean Noblet Tower de Marseille, I never would have arrived at this conclusion. Like you just, you don't see that like in the, in the conveyor or the Dodal, you really just don't see Judaica prominently in the cards. Yeah. I, like I said, I was skeptical when I first came across your Instagram because it just, you know, people love to just take symbols and throw them anywhere and be like, yeah. look, yeah. look, the truth revealed. But um, <laughs> yeah, when I inspected closer, it's like, oh, damn, is this, is this convincing? Is it? And so would this be the argument for, uh, would this have been the change from the 18 major arcana to the 22? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, be my, I believe. So, that, I mean, it gets very interesting. So the, um, uh, so when you look at the oldest Noblet de Marseille, I mean, I can show you how each card is a vessel. I'm sorry, is that background noise so horrible? Nah. So I, I can give you an argument. I, I can show you how each one of the cards is is a vessel for a particular Hebrew letter. So there's you know there's 22 cards, there's 22 Hebrew letters. People you know and and occultists and the tarot historians have always debated this. That the occultists always say, oh the letters align with the Hebrew alphabet, and the tarot historians say, oh it's a coincidence, and that's and they just go back and forth. Um, but if I so my, my I, I would say that the I'm I'm here to say that both groups are wrong. Tarot historians are very wrong. There really is a secret <laughs> agenda to the tarot. The tarot occultists are wrong, and then it's not it's not a cult Kabbalah. It's not the Kabbalah of Eliphas Levi. It's really it's it's traditional Judaic Kabbalah. And that's and so so there's there's plenty a lot of people made a lot of mistakes along the way. Um but there's but the, um and so but however, there's a wrinkle in this story because that would make that would be the end of the, if someone said if the Jean Noble Tower de Marseille was the oldest tarot with 22 cards, with 22 picture cards, we'd say mystery solved. But it's not. There are older decks with 22 cards. And I don't have an explanation for that. Now, the um, some historians say that the oldest deck with 22 picture cards is um, a deck that was commissioned in, in the kingdom of Ferrera in northern Italy around the year 1500. The kingdom of Ferrer is very interesting in that um, 
around the year 1500, it was the only location in, in, in all of in all of Christendom and all of Catholic Europe where a where a what they call a new Christian. So when when you convert, if you were a Jewish, you converted to Catholicism, you were considered a new Christian, which is a nice title. But it means you're always kind of there's always a suspicion that you're practicing Judaism in secret. And it's hard for us to appreciate how how crazy seriously people took this stuff back then. I mean, they really like people. Um, one thing I've learned from this whole this whole uh, adventure is people take their stories really seriously. We take yeah. our story. We may not. We take our story seriously. But back then, like they, people were willing to kill each other over their stories, and people were willing to die for their stories, which is that's like one of the great take. And and they were they were crypto Jews, who would rather be burned to death than 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 accept the the Catholic story. And there were Catholics who were willing to kill Jews if they didn't accept their story. Like they and that and, uh, and that's hard to digest. And I think as modern as as religious as you and I may be, as as many holy texts as we may read. It, it as as children of the 20th century, it's very hard for us to 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 connect with that mentality. You know, they they were from a different world. They really were. Yeah. The idea of going to even even fisticuffs with someone over uh, a spiritual yeah. story or thing like oh, that. Right. Like, yeah, hey, like, but you know what? To be fair, uh, me and me and the family just finished uh, watching the new Willow series last night, and after that, I was feeling like I wanted to punch someone. I was so angry with what they did with that beautiful world and that beautiful movie and how they just, just crapped all over it. I was like, so actually that's interesting. There's a connection to that because the, um, see nowadays we have so many stories, right? Like my children grow up on Netflix. They just have this like, this like, this like incredible riches of story after story. But back then, I mean, the Bible, that was the, there was, that was really, there were very few stories. So the stories were even more precious. So there's, there's actually a relationship, right? So it's like, if you're a Catholic and you, you're, you're really attached to your story and then you find out this guy is playing with your story. And that's, that's what, that's, that's what the Talmud was. The, the, when the church discovered the Talmud, they were so shocked that Jewish sages were, were making up new <laughs> stuff. They just couldn't, they were just like, you know, it was, it was like, it was like fans of the Lord of the Rings, getting upset with Bezos doing rings of power. It's like, they're just like, no, how dare you, you know, you know, so they, they, they wanted to put a stop to it. So there is, there is some, there's so much about narrative and connect and owner and ownership who gets to own the story. Well, in fairness to, uh, to uh, my fellow Tolkien purists, you know, what Bezos (laughs) did with rings of power would have been fine if it was left as, uh, you know, pseudopathic, pseudepigraphal fan fiction or midrash on but he they canonize the uh, problem was the canonization of it of stuff yeah, that he, was heretical and disruptive like displacing <laughs> to the main <laughs> narrative and story this, world this is like the pope you know asking the chief rabbi of paris to come and and say how dare you reinvent these bible stories in the Talmud? like who who are you to, i i have ownership over these stories you know it's it's very, I mean, it's kind of... It's a good thing they couldn't read There's, a, ref, so there's a reflection. I mean, it's obviously the stakes aren't nearly as serious, but it's still it's still this concept of like, who gets to own these stories? What's true? What's true in our imaginary worlds? It's very, uh, you know, many layers of interesting psychology and, 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 and our symbolic worlds mean a lot to us, I'm sure. You, you know what's interesting? This just, sh- what you've said has shed some tremendous light on 
um, my golden dawn practices of path working, which are very interesting because you 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 go into the tarot card. This was a big secret, of course. This was one of their big secrets was that you would visualize yourself going into the card. That like just that fact was do not share this. You can see it on notes of W.B. Yeats's handwritten workings for the Celtic Mysteries. Other adept, he mentions to do this technique, and other adepts have written in inner order secret. Do not share like you know of mm -hmm. course everyone mm -hmm. knows that these days because most of that stuff is you know a lot of it's Every, um but what's interesting is that in the pathworking process which is like a self-guided meditation through using the images of the card that are locked into mind reformulated and then entered into you go through a self-guided meditation of 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 a you know a pictorial and sensory reality that is creating your own story for that symbol set so that's very interesting, actually. And, you know, it, it's, it ties in so much to what you were saying about whose story is this. So this is a way for, for the initiate and the practitioner to create their own stories and have their own stories told to them in a dialectical process with the images and whatever entities show up. So the, so And at more advanced yes, levels, we don't even sometimes use a tarot card. Like, I'll just draw the Hebrew letter or visualize the Hebrew letter in my mind, for, lock it in there for a few minutes, then maybe vibrate some divine names depending on which sephira i want that path to lead me to and then from there so, the, so yeah so this so this opens up another door for me in that you know um there's there's from through my lens of understanding you know of one simple interpretation of the cards is to say oh this was a secret this is a tool for secret jewish education we're done Another, but that, that's a lot of people say that no, that's really an unimaginative take. An, but it's another, what I'm going to say at parties from now on. Okay, okay, yeah, no, it's a great one-liner. <laughs> but but some would say no, no, this is actually much more powerful because um, you know in Judaism it's a common practice. You're supposed to read a portion of the Torah every week, and it's like common for people to banter about the portion of the week, and you and you. You kind of reinvent that portion of the Torah. You talk about, well, why is it relevant to us? What do we have to learn from it? And it's it's very much like an imagination game where you're you're thinking about what happened in this situation that's an analogous or helpful or useful to my life. And in some ways, you're reinventing the story. And that this is called Midrash. So if you recognize all the Bible stories hidden in these cards and you deal out a spread, you're kind of you're making up new Bible stories in real time. Like you and you you realize that. There's all these more powerful uh, spiritual or imaginative applications for it. So if that's true, that means what you're describing is actually someone. Someone basically either someone, and this is this is the I, for me is a real riddle is that when I look at the Raider White Smith deck, there's a lot of Judaica in that deck, like a lot of like there's one card where the high priestess it says Torah on it. I have a I don't know, but it's a it's a it's a theory worth investigating of whether whether in these esoteric societies perhaps there was a thread of continuity of crypto Jews who they bas they basically reinvented themselves from from crypto Jews into I, I I don't know what the term would be but they became es esoterical esoteric kabbalists so there may basically long story short there may be a thread of spiritual intellectual continuity from the crypto Jews to the rise of the occult Kabbalah. And that it wasn't just what Eliphas Levy created. Was it, it may have not just been an accident, but it, it may have somehow been connected to an actual Jewish community or some people who actually knew the original meaning of these cards. It is possible. 
That is really fascinating. I mean, that's one thing we, in all our history, we have a hard time still accounting for is the things we just don't know forever. For It was only recently we discovered that, for example, the blessed Raymond Lull um, wasn't just doing a parallel thing similar to Kabbalah that was Christian based out of his own imagination and inspiration. Now we know he was being tutored long distance by letter by a Hebrew Jewish Kabbalist, Kabbalist in Italy. We now know that Moshe Adel proved right. that. And so it's like, okay, so that was a direct transmission of, of cultural and spiritual information from a rabbi who wanted it to enter into the Christian world through Ren So it's so like, this, yeah, there's all these dreams we haven't identified yet. Yeah, and so I'm, I'm going to mispronounce his name, Pico Mirandella. The, um, yeah, Giovanni Pico della Mirandola. Yeah, yeah. He, like, he, also, he, right. had, he, had, he, he had paid Jewish scribes to coach him and teach him. So there is, right. it may be that, and I, I think the, the world of Jewish Kabbalah, and I'm, I'm kind of getting, I'm starting to get open to this a little bit, because I, I used to really think, I used to have a lot of, I, I still do. I'm somewhat antagonistic to occult Kabbalah because for, for a wide variety of reasons, but I'm I'm beginning to come around to the fact that there, there may be more intellectual and spiritual continuity there than I might, than I would suspect. I find I, it surprising. And I'm still studying that, yeah. I assumed it was just sort of a, a brilliant, spontaneous adaptation because I, I, I do appreciate such things, but the idea that there that that there it was a you know a, a spring of of uh, underground knowledge that might have popped up at least enough to influence it a bit. Um, have you heard of the Roger Parasus of uh, the Theosophical Society in Ireland? He's the no. he was he was, uh, he was so he was also the secretary in charge of uh, the Yates the W. B. Yates estate, and he did a lecture that wasn't released till just the just when COVID started. Um, it was done in the eighties, and it's on the Rider Wait Deck. And this was a lecture done over in England at a GD conference. But again, I, I think Adam McLean didn't release the recording until uh, January twenty twenty, and in it. Mm. Parasus, uh, you know, he didn't want to publish the findings because he, he said he might keep them for a little master's degree down the road. But what he discovered was that the Rider weight deck was uh, unlike what we always thought that it was based on the Parseval myth of Wolfram von Eschenbach and that sort of inspiration. He discovered that, in fact, um, uh, weight actually had very little to do with it. And so the, the idea for was given to, apparently, he claims, was given by Yeats to wait who of course introduced him to coleman smith through the golden dawn and that gave him the idea of basing it on the grail mysteries the welsh grail mysteries sorry specifically the welsh mm -hmm. and to tell that story so this is the research this is the idea based on the archival notes that parasus did and it's up on youtube so that lecture can be found yeah and it, so it's it's open it's asking a lot of questions it's like well you know i'm fascinated by the idea that the the rider weight deck not only is maybe more appropriately titled inspiration wise the the yates smith deck um you know <laughs> um that would of course tickle me but you know you know yates didn't have time to do that between all the uh absinthe and peyote i'm joking but you know only partly um wait wait does get credit for making it all happen and and uh, coleman smith of course did some really amazing artwork and like you said it's it's there's layers to that artwork and there may actually have been additional influences um if only from the previous decks that contain the judaic symbolism right. well, well this is the thing so listen so there i'm not an i don't I don't even consider myself uh, a student of the RWS deck, like the Raider Rights. But I, I know very little about the deck. You, yeah. you can walk 
circles. I'm not a student of it either. I was, I lost interest in it until I heard that lecture in 2020. Right. So uh, all I can tell you is that there is, there, so in the, there's this interesting, so in, so again, you know, the Jean Noblet has, it's an absurd amount of Judaica packed in these cards. A lot of the Judaica quickly disappears. It's gone. But then suddenly in the Raider White Smith deck, a lot of the lost Judaica disappears. That for me is a big mystery. I don't like they they re-recognize things that were lost. I don't know how they came back. In the Rider Wait. In the Rider Wait. Oh, so now, it reappeared. You said you said disappeared. You meant reappeared, yeah. It reappears. So it's yeah. like in sixteen fifty wow. around, wow. in seventeen fifty it's gone. In nineteen oh nine it comes back. Wow. How? I I don't I have no explanation for that. Now of course I know the I'm not I don't mean to say at all that the RWS is um primarily Judaic or even large Judaic. It's like they they made I mean that I have a friend I have a good friend of mine who's a tarot card reader, uh, Enrique Enriquez. And he calls the the Raider Waite Smith he calls it a spiritual lasagna. It's like a mishmash of of everything. So they they like hit every spiritual, you know, tradition they could. But they for some reason they they resurrected stuff that had been lost. I don't I have no explanation for that. I mean, if we could go back and talk, have a, have lunch with Pamela Colin Smith, that would be awesome, right? That'd be great. No, like, that'd be great. Like, like, yeah. The whole world has so many questions, and she, I, who would have? Do you, what are the chances she would have ever realized how well known she'd become? Like <laughs> globally, I see no idea. Yeah, she's, yeah, yeah. she's huge. One of the, probably the most rec- one of the most recognizable artists of all time. Oh, yeah. You can show yeah, yeah. anyone that it, one of those images and they're like, it's in all the films. It's crazy when you really yeah, it's, think it's, about it's it. Like, it's a part of our collective subconscious at this point. Yeah, it's fast. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. A pop culture mainstay. Who would have thought, Pat, like from Victorian England to freaking Hollywood? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so weird. I mean, I, I mean I, my understanding is she was originally from Brooklyn, too, which is funny. Well, yeah, but yeah, that she, yeah. Um, she was so as also she was in the golden dawn so she was doing these path working practices and a master of doing these path working practices and garrett and and here's the thing about the reason the golden dawns are different from a lot of other orders is because it was a magical order which meant the teachings primarily came from spirits that were contacted and most new techniques that were developed were based on what spirits communicated so without there's no chance that she didn't base a large amount of the symbolism based on what she got from path working and, and scrying in the spirit vision um for that deck what's in what the new thing is is the is the idea that it might have been based primarily on the Welsh grail mysteries. That's what I'm keep waiting That's for. Right. Someone. I, I want, I don't have time to pull that thread, but I hope someone does. So I'm going to keep mentioning it every chance I get until someone writes a book on it. Are you working on a book? And now a word from our sponsors. While we cannot control whether any ads get put in the spots allocated, we thank you for listening to those that do since they help keep this project alive. You can also get ad-free content and bonus content and videos and a private webpage by subscribing exclusively to magicwithoutfears.com for only a couple dollars a week or six dollars a month or 50 for the year. It helps a lot, plus you get emails about other exclusive things. Thank you very much. I, I So I, I am working on a book. I can't uh, I can't find a publisher, which I find interesting. I had, um, I had, so I, I've oh, made geez. one publication. I made one publication that I just self-published because this is my challenge. You know, I go, I go to places and I say, Hey, you know, I have this book. And what I'm saying is so contrarian 
to to the current understood wisdom that people assume I'm just wrong, and and I, I, I and it's a very it's actually very um, it's somewhat humorous because um, uh, I, I play the role of you know when you when you call up someone you say hi listen you know my name is Stava Pell I'm a researcher I found old secret messages and tarot cards you know people auto you know. People immediately assume I'm insane, you know, which is very funny. So it's it's been a very, uh, I, I you know, I, you can see people like I tell people this, and you can see their, you can see in their eyes, they're like, how do I get away from this man as quickly as possible? Like people, they just want to get off the phone. Everyone assumes I'm insane, um, and that's actually why the reason I ended up opening up that Instagram account is after like after like the tenth publisher, people just giving of just saying they, they wouldn't even get, they would just say no, no, thank you, we're not interested. I was just like. And I'm not, I'm, I'm actually not, you know, I, I, I have a graduate degree, but by profession, I'm a data scientist and I'm, I'm a business consultant. I'm, I don't have a degree. You know, my, my Torah background is, is from my childhood in speaking Hebrew. It's not, it's not, I, you know, I didn't study, uh, I don't have a degree in divinity or in, in Hebrew language. And so there's, 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 uh, there's like four different groups of people who, who uh, don't like me. Um, so tarot historians don't like me. Because they don't. Like, if you're a tarot historian and you spend your whole, you don't want to be. You don't want to be told that you um, you missed the headline. That you studied for something for 30 years, and I have a I have a big piece of news that renders a lot of your um, research either irrelevant, irrelevant, or it has a big blind spot. So tarot historians do not like this. Um, tarot occultists actually don't like this. They they because um, it, it kind of it raises the whole topic of. Uh, cultural appropriation around occult Kabbalah. They they also they um, Judaic Kabbalah. I, I find a lot of uh, of people in the occult community have some antagonism towards traditional Judaic Kabbalah. There's there's a battle for ownership on the word of Kabbalah. Kabbalah is a very uh, in this in the world of symbolism, it's it's prime real estate, and people want to own that word. So when so when when if this if this if this raises if we say well actually all those years what you thought was Kabbalah was really Judaism, the the traditional esoteric occult community it kind of rubs their fur in the wrong direction. Um, some fortune tellers don't like it because it's like um, they they really want to see the tarot as mysterious. And so when you when you do damage to the mystery of the tarot, that's kind of like a little bit of a letdown. And interesting, the the people I'm most disappointed with, the people that I wrestle with a lot, the making progress, the traditional Jewish community is that a lot of people don't want to hear this, or they're it's hard for them to hear this because tarot has such a negative uh, um, reputation in the Jewish world. Tarot tarot is, is assumed it's it's a, it's associated with the occult, with uh, the satanic. With fortune telling, all these things that are explicitly forbidden. I mean, they, they associate with with uh, uh, idol worship, Abu Zara. So when you say tarot, they're like that is forbidden in Judaism. That's the end of the conversation. Mm. So it takes a while to say, well, actually, you know, these cards were made a hundred years before they were used for fortune telling. Or actually, let me tell you, it's it's a it's a very hard. Uh, there's a lot of emotional resistance to the topic. Yeah. Um. So it's been so it's been a funny, humorous. Uh, process of of trying to sell the, i'm basically in the process of having to sell this 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 theory and this thesis well uh, yeah hopefully this uh helps get the word out there more there's definitely yeah, some publishers yeah. who i think uh should be interested in your book and i think uh this study deserves a fine treatment by a publisher so so given the quality of stuff out there yeah let's 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 uh, let's make this happen i'm i'm putting my will behind it for sure it's very interesting i want to you do have a book available now but 
it's I have a very I, I wrote a very slim publication with a reprint of the Noblesse 22 cards and what what I'm basically it's like a it's a very shorthand concise summary of the Judaica hidden in the cards. Beautiful. Um, I do want to do a lot. What's it I, called? I would love, it's called so uh, the, Torah and the, to- the Torah and the Tarot. The Torah and the Tarot. The Torah and the Tarot, and you can it's, if you Google it, and you can. I have a website. I sell it really cheap. I'm not, I, I, I'm not into this for the money at all. I've, I've spent a lot of money on just like on books, and I, I, I printed it myself, and I commissioned an artist to redo the cards. Um, so I, I'm selling it as cheaply as I can. I basically, I want to just. I'm, I'm sure, and, and pretty much almost every. I, I share a lot of this content, almost all of it for free on yeah. Instagram. You know, I'm being, I'm being very open with people. Yeah, no, wonderful. Uh, so I, I look forward to getting that, reading it myself, and um, yeah, let's let's uh, hope uh, that a bigger a bigger book comes along, and uh, I'm sure it will. I just it's this is too interesting. I understand what you're saying though about upsetting a lot of the different uh, uh, circles of people out there. I, I do that myself, you know, like you know, just by I guess being nitpicky about you know you can. You can fit into one world except for this fact and this world except for this fact, and then you end up with a very small intersection of the people that are into your thing. But at least those people are, you know, they're the people who are really into what you're into. So that's not a bad thing. Yeah. And I, just, I, I mean, I'm making, I'm, I am making a lot of progress. Like, um, I'm actually working with um, the Jewish Arts Council of Boston and, a, and an artist, Jonathan Prince. Uh, we're, we're designing what's going to be an augmented reality exhibit. Of the of, so, so it'll be an, a museum exhibit where the cars are blown up and you put your phone up and then the animation will move to show you the hidden Judaic and the cards. So that, that's oh, an maybe. exhibit we're working on, but maybe. that's I mean, that may take years. We'll see. We'll see how it's going. One Did you ago. have some some images you wanted to present and yeah. go through? Yeah, yeah. I'll give you. Let me let me share. Okay. Okay, one second. This has been to... so. Ex- I can't tell you how 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 much I love this. Thank you for spending time with That's me. My pleasure. No, yeah, I'm so. Is... I'm, I, I'm I'm really happy for every opportunity to share this story because, and I, I'm actually. I mean, that's part of the. Um... Are you able to see? Are you see? Yes. Do you see this one? Okay. Yes, I read so, you here. You know, so, um, I I so. so this has become more than a hobby. It's kind of a bit of an obsession for me because I, f- I feel a lot of obligation to the artists of 1650. Because, okay, I, I, I mean, this is the punchline of, for me in a lot of ways is that, you know, Tarot, Tarot I, I, I really knew very little, little about Tarot um, a few years ago. And I've, I've really come to appreciate Tarot in general as a, as a very beautiful and unique genre of visual art. Uh, but for the noble, the Jean Noble Tauri Marseille in particular is a is a really unrecognized masterpiece of spiritual art. Um, that when you see how much content these people worked and labored to conceal in these cards, um, th- it's it's basically a Rosetta Stone to uh, a, a lost period of history. Uh, and, and that's my my really big hope is for people to start recognizing what's going on in this particular deck of cards. Currently, it's in the French National Archives. It's categorized as 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 under the category of playing cards. I think it's a terrible disservice to this work of art. And my that that's my big hope is to grab the attention of a few academics to get them started on on, on doing on, on really researching a much bigger story here. And I and I think there's so much more here than that that I've been able to unlock. I think I've just I think I'm just kind of pointing in the direction. 
Um, okay, but back to so 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 what I'm showing here is I'm basically showing the evolution of one particular card of tarot, and uh, I call this uh, tarot's game of telephone. It's like you know the, you know the game of broken telephone where you know people whisper in each other's ears. And so, I actually you know, just the, used that as an example with a client the other day. Uh, <laughs> or a friend the other day. Um, ironically, continue. Sorry. <laughs> What's fine? Did you have more? Okay. So, so this is the so that so the first card is is around fifteen hundred, probably a couple of days. This is the Visconti deck. This is the deck that you showed earlier. So, um, this is the one all the way on the right side of the screen. I guess I'm doing this in Hebrew, right to left, and. You know, it's this beautiful deck. The the batch size was was one, which was like one fine artist made some really truly beautiful deck of cards. Um, and then the next card I'm showing you is from 1760. This is from the Convair deck. It's made like 250 years later, but now the, this deck is printed with a, a wooden block. So they're they're mass producing these decks. It's not it's like a business. And there's actually a, there was actually a guild of of tarot card makers in France. It was it was. Really? It was a business, just like it's a business today. It was a business back then. People were people were playing cards. They were gambling. They were making them in bulk. The next card is from the is from the Oswald Worth deck, and this was made in 1889. And Oswald Worth was um he was a kind of a an eccentric uh, Swiss esoteric and artist, um you know, and he was very into big into occult theories, esoteric theories. And he was he was kind of you know around the time of Eliphas Levi with the rise of the occult, and and you can see that when when he made his version of the magician he, you know he's inserting the the Hebrew letter Aleph. This is when people started that that people Eliphas Levi really popularized this idea of associating the twenty two trump cards with Hebrew letters, and he and he thought this was uh, Kabbalah was he and and. This for this uh, this version of Kabbalah was very. They were very explicit that it was uh, Kabbalah without Judaism. Kabbalah that has been purged of Jews, um, and they were because. And the reason why they had a purge of Judaism is that uh, Eliphaz Levi and others they they were presenting themselves as the author, as the true authorities about Kabbalah. I think they were. Uh, in my mind, when I read their books, I mean they're they're they were kind of performance artists. You know, I don't know if I don't know to what extent they took themselves seriously. I think they were they were artists, but they were also esoteric theorists. So I think I think they were. Uh, I don't know to what extent they were showmen or to what extent they were taking themselves entirely seriously. It's, for me, it's it's not so clear. And then in yeah. 1909, you know, that's the, that's that's the deck. That's the Pamela Coleman Smith. That's the deck that everyone recognizes, right? When people close their eyes, they imagine tarot. That's the deck they saw. But you can see there is this like, there is this game of telephone that's going that's playing out over over centuries, over yeah. you know four different centuries. However, there's a so this this second deck, this card from 1760, this is the Tarot de Marseille, and the Tarot de Marseille was very popular in France. There, it, it, it was over centuries. People made numerous versions of the Tarot de Marseille, um, and, and and one of the one of the misnomers, kind of one of the uh, cognitive errors in the world of tarot, is that we tarot is a singular noun. We talk about the tarot, but the truth is, different artists made different cards for different purposes and different agendas. Right? So they they like these are all the magician, but there's a different story behind each one of these. You know, one the, the one on the right was made by a wealthy family as a playing card. The second card was probably was probably a middle-class family in France, also for playing cards. 
The third card is now someone who's using the cards for esoterica. And the fourth card is now, now we're into full-blown fortune telling and divination, right? There's been an evolution of this tool. But now we're going to do a deep dive. I'm going to show you. Um, uh, just if I can, of course, if Roger Parasus's thesis is correct and the and Pamela Coleman-Smith and, and A.E. Waite used the 1909 deck to embed the Welsh Grail story, and you can see it's very telling that the Golden Dawn magical tools are not what Smith used for the Magician card, which is what you would think they would use. And the cards we use in our initiations are very different than the Coleman Smith. So she would have been initiated with a whole different set of cards. But when it came to telling the story, she puts the four uh, Irish uh, weapons of the provinces huh. of the of the kingdom. So traditionally meant to be the sword, the spear, the cauldron, and the stone. And she did something sort of in between the two. Um, so that's an interesting thesis that has yet to be really fully explored since the yeah, yeah. So anyway, just wanted to, no, yeah, so that, because that would be, it tied the magician card back into the idea of concealing a hidden narrative. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, that's beautiful. I mean, I love, it, yeah, I love, you know, you know, I'm a man of books. I read a lot of books. And when one thing I learned from Tarot that I really learned from Tarot is that to what extent I live in a world of words, you know, how my, I live, I live in, a, in a reality comprised of words and wrestling with these pictures. I really learned to what extent words can be very limiting because they're so precise. They're so exact. And that when you, when you delve into images, suddenly your, your, your mind is really liberated to see, uh, to see new currents of symbolism that you would really never get just from, from literal interpretation. So yeah, it's, it's beautiful that there's, there are stories embedded within stories that connect with stories in ways that words could never do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So here's, so this is, so what I'm showing you here, this is the oldest version of the Tarot de Marseille. No, this is the Jean Noblet Tarot de Marseille from 1650. This is the first time that a magician is holding up a wand that the oldest time. And, um, okay. And it's very different. And the first thing you may notice is that the first time a magician is holding up a wand, it's actually not a wand at all. It's actually a penis. That's what I was going to say. I, <laughs> I just didn't know if I should bite my tongue. I'm like, it kind of looks like a penenda. It's a penis. Actually, and if you, and if you look closely, it's, um, it's explicitly a circumcised penis. That is very clear. It's very clear. And, you can, it, and it's like kind of covered with this like red paint, which... Um, and people, and people have known, people have known about this penis for a while, but they, they, anyone's ever said on this podcast, <laughs> people have known about this penis. <laughs> they, people, they joke, they joke they, people say, oh, it's really funny. They say, Noble was a kinky guy. He was a weird guy because he's, his magician is waving a penis and it's a joke. People think it's a joke. They think it's funny or they think he's like doing a fuck you or something, you know, they, but that. That people interpret as a joke. However, for me, someone from a, a, a traditional Jewish background, when I see that, when I see him holding up, when I see this figure holding up a circumcised penis, it means something incredibly different to me, because a circumcised penis is in in Hebrew. It's it's the um, uh, it's the Brit Milah. It's literally yeah. the symbol of the covenant. It has it's loaded with tremendous religious meaning. Um, and here, what yeah. I'm showing you are images of traditional circumcision kits. 
Oh, wow. Look at that. Wow. That I was because this whole time I wanted to be like, so what's going on with the different objects on the table? And now you have explained, yes, this is amazing. So when you do a traditional circumcision, there's a prayer book. Um, when you when you it's and when you cut off the um, the foreskin, uh, there is a drop of blood. Um, you use you have a, a very sharp knife. There's a cup of sand. So when you cut off the foreskin, you put it in a cup of sand. You also have a cup of wine because you give the baby some wine to drink. You also have a cup of spices because you have the child. Everyone's supposed to smell the spices before. It's a very sen- there's a very sensual sensory experience to this. Um, there's a triangular object that's used. It's called uh, a magen or shield. So what you do is you have this magen and you pull the foreskin through so that when you cut, the metal shield protects the inner organ of the penis. Um, why are there dice? Well, if you look at the, if you count the spots on top of the dice, there's eight spots. Uh, a circumcision is always conducted on the eighth day of life. And if you count the total number of spots, there's 15. And 15 is a gematria code, you know, a Hebrew numeric code for the letters Yud Hey, which are the first two letters of God. And there's actually a lot of gematria code. In, in, his, in his other hand, he's holding a coin. There's a Jewish tradition of called Pidiota Ben, which is the redemption of the sons. That when you when you give birth to a son, you're supposed to pay the high priest a coin. It's a tradition. Um, and so um overall, this this card is a um it's it's basically it's a secret depiction of the ritual of circumcision. The the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Aleph. Um, and if you can see, his arms are held like those of the letter Aleph. And this is the pattern you'll see. Like if you go through all, if you go through all 22 cards, you're going to see this pattern over and over again, which is um, the the Hebrew letters are half present, half concealed. They're they're present enough so that if you know Hebrew well and you see this, you'll say that guy is posing like an Aleph. But if you don't know Hebrew well, you'd never pick up on it. And for me, it's like I for me, it's like, oh yeah, that's Aleph. Why is it Aleph? Because for me, Aleph is the first letter in Avram, who was the, the first patriarch who underwent circumcision. Um at a at a traditional circumcision, um the rabbi wears tefillin. So we 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 tie leather straps to our left arm. Um, and that's 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 there's a commandment which says you should you should uh bind the commandments of the Torah to your arm and place them as a sign between your eyes. Um, during a circumcision, you, you wear tefillin, and you can see that in his in his left hand, in his left hand, um, the hand is is kind of mimicking the posture of the. There are three Hebrew letters in one's hand. You you tie the knots to form the letters of Shin, Dalit, and Yud, which is Shaddai, a name for God. And you can see that there's there's a Shin, Dalit, and Yud interposed on each other. Um, and actually, and actually, there's a, there's a very famous quote from Sefer Yitzirah. Some people say the oldest text of the Kabbalah, um, where it describes it kind of the, the, the Sefer Yitzirah kind of describes Avraham as kind of a magician, someone who has these kind of uh, the Abraham is described as having the ability uh, to make souls. Um, and there's this there's this very specific quote where it talks about when 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 God came to him and made a covenant with him, and he made a covenant between the ten fingers of his hands, that is the covenant of the tongue, and between the ten foes of his feet, that is the covenant of circumcision. And he bound the twenty-two letters of Torah to his tongue, and so I think the reason they they placed the um, this is kind of um, 
and you see this repeatedly throughout the cards. The, the artists are kind of making these very uh, explicit visual depictions of these classic lines of Kabbalah. And interesting, so the um, so the the Kabbalists, If you ask the Kabbalists why there are twenty two Hebrew letters, and and by and why there are twenty two cards of tarot, so the idea is that you there's a line from Psalms which says that um, I I I know the Lord God by I, when I see the stars in the sky, I see the work of His fingers. So they know that God has ten fingers. So the idea is that there's the there's the covenant of the tongue, is the Torah itself, which is which a lot of it has to do with the um with words. So the, the covenant of the tongue is, is your mouth. So you have 10 fingers and your tongue, and then there's your 10 toes and your genitalia. So altogether, someone has 22 digits. So they say the, you know, the Lord God created the world with 22 digits and we, and we are a reflection of God. We're made in his image. So with our 22 digits, we can interact with his creation. And likewise, they're the, the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet or another reflection of those same 22. So these, that twenty-two is seen as the twenty. Our twenty-two digits and the twenty-two letters are the are the are the basic building blocks of the of the creation. Fascinating, fascinating. This is amazing. And there's all there's all this code, and there's a lot of there's a lot of gematria code. So like he has twelve stripes on his chest. There are twelve stripes on the hangman. There's twelve like oh, oh in the cards over and over you'll see these twelve stripes. These are for the wow. twelve tribes of Israel. Um, yeah, and all, and all this gematria. Like, if you go to later versions of the Torah de Marseille, all of this is immediately lost. Like, and there's no other deck of tarot that has the same type of um, obsessive attention to detail. Where there, this so someone really like. Um, that's why I believe this was made by a group of artists who labored for a long time because they <clears throat> worked so hard to make every little you know square of real estate embedded with value and meaning. So that's that's why I keep telling people this one's different. This is a really unique masterpiece. It's it's a real it's a it's a real artifact of a of a, of a really unique moment in history. What do you think Valentin Tomberg would say if he could have seen your research? I you know it's so it's such a great question. I don't know because um I don't know. You probably know better than me. I don't know. I mean, I think he would have been thrilled maybe a, maybe a little upset as he was a roman catholic convert oh, um, right, right. But, but but you know from reading his, his meditations his no matter how much of a convert he was even at that time and and up until his death i'm pretty sure um you know he was still an anthroposophist and uh you know an esotericist first like he spends a lot of time talking about the inner teachings versus the outer so i think he would have just taken it in stride and 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 so one of the things the Golden Dawn, like if you look at the Regardi Wang deck, which is a later Golden Dawn deck, of course, from the 20th century, you can count things. Anything that can be counted adds up to like 22 or 12 or 10 or the, the main mystical number. So it, it, it's it's nice to see that, that that wasn't something that was artificially superimposed onto the tarot by Victorian and 20th century occultists who wanted to co-opt uh, a game for their spirituality and magic, right? No, I, no. That I mean that when we, if we, what I read now, it looks like they were resuscitating a lost yes. Jewish mystery tradition. Right. Yeah. When when I, I mean I read a lot of, I read a lot of old Kabbalah in Hebrew. I I enjoy reading in Hebrew because it's so hard. I enjoy. I just enjoy how hard it is, um, how cryptic it is. But these guys were they were obsessed with like they would take a verse of Torah. 
they would ascribe numeric values to every letter and every word and they would they would they you know i guess they had like it's like an ocd disorder they would they would they would try to find and they really saw like a lot they thought they were they they kind of looked at this as like the particle physics of their time they really thought that this was this was the arch the hidden architecture of the cosmos um and they took it quite seriously and yeah so yeah so no the the the, the later occult esotericists they they did not make that up out of vacuum there there that was that was inspired by an older tradition it's so interesting to consider more what you said that that Elifalevi might have had some uh, some friends who uh, pointed some things out to him, and he's like, "Well, I can't present this as a Jewish thing, obviously." That's um, that's that's, some, that's what I'm hot. See, that's what puzzles me is that when I first read Eliphaz Levi, I was like, "Oh, he's stealing! He's stealing my! He's stealing our stuff! He's he's he, you know, it's it's all it's appropriation." But of then, but now that we, I, we stole Jesus from you. <laughs> But 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 the, yeah. So I mean, but let, let's be fair. Every, uh, the truth is, everything's appropriated from everything, right? No, no, nothing's original. I mean, oh, I mean, you, know, if, you see that. If we had some, I, I'm, I, I'm, you know, I'm a Jew, but if there, I'm sure there's some ancient Egyptian. If he showed up, he'd be like, he'd be like, stop! You stole that whole Torah. It's all Egyptian. You took everything from you know everyone. Everything is stolen from somebody else. Everything. It's all. It's all stolen. Yeah. Yes. So um, agreed. So nothing, you know, it's, it's kind of silly. It, the appropriation game is a little silly, but so, but so, but with the cult, but I'm very torn because, like, I don't know if I if I should look at Eliphaz Levi as as a thief, or or it's very possible that that was maybe a kind of savior in a weird weird way. Right? Maybe he it, maybe he just wasn't allowed to say Jewish. Maybe just that maybe he maybe he would be like, if I said this was Jewish, it would blow up in my face. Like, just that would be the end of it. I mean, that so that so we don't we'll never know. We we don't know because yeah. it was. Judaism itself was a taboo back then, so it's it's impossible. It's it, it's you can't basically in short. It's very it's very challenging to take our contemporary moral lenses and and aim it retroactively. It's not necessarily constructive. In short, it, it is a major hermeneutic problem, as we say, right? Yeah, um, yeah. which is why you, you need to uh, have a a fine publisher uh, help uh, support you in putting out a fine, well bound, beautiful book because this is. This is too cool for school, man. Are <laughs> oh, you want to do another another card? Yeah, yes, please. All right, we're gonna do. Lisa, uh, can I have some more? <laughs> All right, we're gonna jump to. We're gonna do the death card. Everyone loves this, the death this, card. This is the. This is a fun morning. This is a. I usually try to avoid podcasting in the morning because of all the noise outside, but. I'm very oh, glad we. we happy I could be entertaining. Thing. All right. Um, Death card. It's the death Rock card. And roll. Everybody loves the death card. So on my Instagram account, uh, when I do, I've seen a correlation uh, between likes and subject matter. So some cards get more likes than others. The 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 second most popular card that people love, they love it, is the star because it has a naked lady on it. People love seeing a naked lady. Uh, but the most popular card by far is the death card. I don't know why people love. They love posts of the death card. You, I, I don't know what that says about about who we are, but they love the death card. All right. I, so, I remember once I had the death card in a tarot reading I was doing for someone I met on the bus when I was 12. This is how I made money after I had my hair got too long to babysit anymore. That might not make sense to people these days, but back in 93, trust me, that was a real that was a big problem. Deal. Yeah. Now that would be like racist or something. Um 
So I started doing tarot readings and I pulled the death card in his reading and he got very upset. He's like, no, I don't want to die. I'm like, no, this is a good card. It's a card of transformation. He's like, can you just tell me I'm going to live a long time and be rich? I'm like, you're <laughs> going to live a long time and be rich? He's like, thank you. And that was it. He got, he got his money's worth. He got his worth. Hey, and I, got my, I got my dollar a minute. So, so I, I, have a, I have a very good friend who's a longtime tarot reader. And he often talks about he kind of got burnt out of the profession because he, it, you know, he's like a he, he, he sees himself as like as as a very thoughtful, deep, poetical inhabitant of the world of symbol. But everyone kept wanting to ask them about, you know, hey, is my girlfriend going to come back to me? You know, oh, you know, they, 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 people kept asking people. He said for years, people were just asking the same question over and over and over again. And so, you know, so somebody could write a funny uh, movie about that one day about the, the frustrated tarot reader who. Was just exhausted by all the, by people's simple questions that come up over and over again. Um, so, all right. So we are. So the death card. So I'm showing you three versions, and this is interesting because in the Raider White Smith deck, um, they really abandoned the the older. They they you know the older version had a had a skeleton you know, uh, but here they they added a lot more. They they went in a very different direction. But we're going to focus on. Um, so first off. If you um, if you're a student of Hebrew, you you would see that there's a letter tzaddik. It's you know it's really um, uh, front and center. And also one of the things that, that's strange about this card is that the the death figure is smiling. He's happy, which people find very enigmatic about this card in particular. So the the letter tzaddik has a lot of unique meaning in Judaism. So the letter tzaddik, the name tzaddik, is actually a homonym for the word tzaddik, which means righteous. Um, and in, in, um, someone who's righteous means, it literally means they're correct. What does it mean they're correct? It means that they have the right balance of tzedek, which is justice and tzedakah, which is charity. And this is, this is kind of like traditional Judaism. And, and, and there's in Judaism, there's 13 articles of faith. This is from the Rambam in like the 13th century, 12th century. I'm sorry. And the the Rambam the, the one of the thirteenth article of faith and Rambam said this is the most important important article of faith at all is that um, at the end of time the 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 righteous will be resurrected from the dead um, and it's specifically it's not just and it's not just it's not it's not everyone who gets it's the righteous that's Sadikim who get who who rise from the dead and this this whole belief of the resurrection of the dead it's from um, it's from Ezekiel's vision of the dry bones. And this is a very famous portion of the Bible from Ezekiel 37, in which um, God grabs Ezekiel by the tuft of hair on top of his head. He brings him to this valley. Um, and Ezekiel sees all this, this, this valley of all these dry old bones. And, and the Lord God tells them that I have the ability for the, I, I, I'm showing you that the righteous one day will come back alive. And, and he says, says, I will cause breath to enter you and shall live again. And then as he sees this, all the bones come together and they start to grow flesh again. They become alive again. And, 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 and this is the origin of the 13th article of faith and belief in the resurrection of the dead uh, in the world to come. And here's like an artist depiction. Um, and famously, the rabbis believe that there, there, that um, your backbone was called in Judaism. It's called a luz bone, and it was it was believed that from specifically the luz bone was the container of your eternal soul. Now, why luz? Luz is an old name for Jerusalem. And so the idea was that um, 
they, there's a belief that in the world to come, the, the entire world will be reborn from Jerusalem, from the luz of, of the world. And likewise, a human being will be reborn again from our spinal column. And this is why Orthodox Jews, by the way, they're very against cremation, because they think it'll, it'll be harder for us to be resurrected from our luz bones. Um, now, uh, there was a specific line in Ezekiel 8.3, which is the Yeshlach Tavnit Yad Mikachni Betzitzit Roshi. So God took his hand and grabbed me by the, by the tassel of my ear. That's, and the word is tzitzit. And tzitzit is spelt with a tzadich. Tzitzit also means tassel. It's also the word for the tassels on a, on a, 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 on a prayer shawl. And tzitzit is also the word for the four strings that we wear. So Orthodox Jews, they wear four strings on the corners of their shirt, again, as a constant reminder of the commandments of the Torah. So he has, he has a tzitzit tassel on his hair, which is also the tzitzit that Ezekiel was grabbed by. Um, and and this, this, this figure is actually four, his limbs are actually four strings of tzitzit knot. You can see these little kind of um, anklets or neeklets. They're mimicking the knots on traditional tzitzit. So this figure is actually an anthropomorphic disguise image of tzitzit, tzitzit which are spelt with tzaddik. And so you see, and so this is this is the pattern in the cards where they um, they depict a story from the from the Tanakh, from the Hebrew Bible, but also they cram in as many Judaic ritual objects as possible. And this one, it's tzitzit. It's you know, um, now you may say, you know, um, and so people say to me, they're like, well, that's cute. You found one, you found two ritual objects. That's cute. But and so I would say, yeah, that's totally legit. But I, for me, to, for you to really take my theory seriously. I'd have to show you a pattern. I'd have to show you numerous ritual objects. So here's the hermit. And this, so this is the Raider White Smith deck. This is, this is the hermit from 1650. So this hermit is a copy of a copy of a copy, like 300 years passed between 300 years. And we don't know how many scores of different decks, you know, went the, the game of telephone was very long. One of the weird things to me is that there's a star of David here. I don't know why they did that, but this, so, um, so the the ninth letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Tet. And Tet is the first word in Talit, which is a prayer shawl. And if you notice, the, the hermit is actually wearing a prayer shawl. You actually see that the... the um, so when you wear tefillin, there are these little boxes you place on your head. There's like a box you place. On, and on the box, there's a, a letter Shin. And this little tuft of hair is actually a Shin on its side. He's actually wearing, so his hair is kind of a prayer shawl. And that little tuft of hair is, is, is what's called totofot, also spelled with a, with a tet. He's wearing totofot. He's wearing, he's wearing tefillin. So, here's another, so it's another ritual object kind of disguised. Here's another example. In, in temperance has these two cups. Um, and let's see. And, and in, in Judaism, there's a, a ritual called netilat yadaim. So nitilati daim basically means purification of the hands. And several times a day, you're supposed to purify your hands. You're supposed to purify your hands, which purifying means wash. You're supposed to wash your hands when you wake up. You're supposed to wash your hands before prayer. You're supposed to wash your hands before each meal. You're supposed to wash your hands before you use the facilities. You're supposed to wash your hands after you use the facilities. So, so nitilati daim used to be like a very integral part of, of, of Judaism. Nitilati daim is spelled with a nun, which is the 14th day of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, 
And so actually, and a nitilat yadam, basically a vessel, it has two handles. Actually, where is my nitilat? One second. I don't know where my nitilat is. Oh, well. so it has two, it has two handles where you wash one hand. The reason it has two is you pick it up, you wash this hand, and you, you don't want to, you don't want to um, put this hand on that handle because it'll get dirty. So you have a second hand, you have a second handle and you pour it. So they're showing the two motions of Netilat Yadaim as one composite image. And you can see, and, and you're supposed to pour the water into a vessel. You're not supposed to let it fall on the ground. You have to pour it into a vessel and then you take that water and you throw it outside. So this, this whole figure is a disguised depiction of Netilat Yadaim. And interesting, so here in the Raider White Smith deck, they, they put the Hebrew word for God here. So again, it's like, it's just weird to me that all this like, all this Judaica gets lost and then it comes back. You see this pattern over and over. But basically, you know, if I walked, basically there's, you know, if I walk you through card after card after card, there's just like, Card, there's this. There's a lot of Judaic, Judaic ritual objects hidden in these cards, and it's for me. It's like, um, it's too much. It's too systematic. It's too consistent. It's too comprehensive. Um, so you you you're faced with a choice. You can either there, there are there, if someone sees one or two of these, they'll say, oh, that's a coincidence. That's a coincidence. Um, but at this point, when you see this many objects. Um, the preponderance of evidence, for sure. No, I mean, so you're you're like, so I tell people either there's two explanations. One is that this is magic. That these cards, all on their own, they some these cards through sheer coincidence created a depiction of Judaism, of Torah stories, and Judaic ritual objects, and Jewish holidays, which truly makes this a supernatural magic like a, a, a truly a divine object right it's like the torah itself rumbled out of the ground and re recreated itself i prefer the more mundane explanation that there was an artist who made this and that this was an intentional work of art and that and those the the um and so the, and, and the, i think we're at this interesting moment where i think there's a lot of tarot people who think that i'm making all this shit up that this is not really judaism and I think there are a lot of Jew. I think there are a lot of Jewish people who think there must be a Tarot scholar with a better explanation. And these two groups are like they're waiting for they're waiting for the other side to shoot first. And so mm. I, you know, and I, I'm one of the unique. I'm one of the very few people who know the Judaism very well and the Tarot history well. And there's a lot of people who know Tarot history much better than me. And there's a lot of people who know Judaism and Torah much better than me. But I am the, for, for better for us right now at this moment in time, I'm the world's expert on the intersection of those two, that tiny piece of, that tiny piece of, of symbolic property. Um, and for me, the, this, the, the, this cannot be chance. There's, there's too much here. Um, but then, as, but as I admitted before, once, once you get past this one realization, then it gets very speculative very, very quickly. Yeah, well, is this your first time talking about this on a podcast? No, I've 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 done a few. There's a few videos of me talking about it. I think this is this is my first podcast. I think my, my conversation has really largely been within the Jewish community. Oh wow, wow! I think this is I think this is my first pot my first meaningful co podcast with someone outside of the Jewish world. Yeah, well, you know, you everyone you got to you got to go through the Christian clergy at some point. Let alone the cultists, <laughs> right? Let alone us Golden Dawn folk. Speaking of the Golden Dawn, so in the Golden Dawn, the Hermit card connects with Tiferet, and Tiferet, of course, is six in the hexagram, therefore the hexagram in the Hermit's lamp 
leading to or from Tiferet. Oh, so it's a hexagram? It's not... It's just, well, not, six it's not a star. star of David? It's a star of David, yeah. But six points oh. for the six of Tiferet. Right, right, yeah. And that, that, that would be the reason. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Fascinating. So, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, mean I, I, I have more. I mean, did, did you want to see more? Did oh, you yeah, yeah, let's go, let's go. All right. Um, Rock and roll. Okay. Yeah, I can't wait for the the huge book you're gonna have to write on this and and. Uh, I can. You know, so I, I, I so I had a had a very tragic meeting. I, I a few months, uh, I guess about a year ago, there was a publisher who said, "Yeah, we we love your research. We want we want we want to do this." Um, I shall tell you the pub. I'll, I'll say the name of the publisher. It was U, U.S. Games. Um, oh, I've done business with them back when I worked for a game company in the you know 15 years ago. <laughs> Right, I mean, they're, they're like the they're the uh, the giants in the industry of yeah. tarot publishing, and 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 we were pursuing doing a project, and we we met, and they they said they said to me they said we we think your research is brilliant, we think this is really interesting, um, you they think you may even be true, they may, may even be true, they, they and they were and I, I mean people. You know, people outside of the Jewish world don't know whether they don't know whether or not I'm just making stuff up. So I I, I totally respect their skepticism and their hesitancy. I mean, it's I mean, it, 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 and I and I, I you know I tell people you know it's um, you know I have no evidence for this. It, it, you know, I I used to tell people there's um, it is possible that I'm I'm a well-intended guy who's suffering from an overactive imagination. It's very possible. I, I think I've gotten past. I think I think at this point I, I have a degree of confidence. But you know, we'll say. Um, but they said ultimately they didn't want to publish the book. And the reason they didn't want to publish the book is they said, we're not going to make money. There's like people, they're like, they're like, let's, let's, there's like, let's be honest. Our number one bestseller right now is the cat tarot. That's what, that's what people want to buy. This is, and they said, this is, this is very heavy. This is very dark. This is very sectarian. You know, they saw it as, they didn't say it's very Jewish, but that, but they were, they were basically, they were saying, this is going to appeal to a tiny niche audience. The general tarot community is either a not going to like it, or they're just going to be bored by it, or they're just going to ignore it. So they're like, "We're not the right people for you." That's what they said. And well, at least they didn't say too much penis. <laughs> Actually, no. Well, that's interesting. They did say that. <laughs> they did say that. They, they actually did say too much. They, they, uh, some of them. Some of them were like. This talk of circumcisions and foreskin and penises and 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 what what one of the guys was one of the guys said why, why why can't we let's let's just tidy up the penis can we get rid of the penis and I was like no you can't get rid of the penis the penis you, is really important this card is about how you tidy up the penis <laughs> no you know I've got a lot of I mean that's a very so, put on a label do not try at home <laughs> professionals only professionals only right so 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 you know there's there. It, so this is a, a a sore topic for me. So there there are there are artists today who make reproductions of the Jean Noble Tower de Marseille, and they fix the Noble penis. They they change the penis into a wand, because they say that the and I've I've reached out and they say the reason we fix it to they like they say obviously this was a printing mistake. Obviously the oh. the, the the every magician is always holding a wand. Obviously, the printing block broke at that location, and it was really meant to be a wand. And so we're 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 restoring it, we're correcting it. And I, of course, that makes me furious, right? For me, that's like 
you know, you're, you're, you're like putting graffiti on the Mona Lisa, you know, it's like, it's such a, you know, you're, you're, you're violating the sanctity of this, of this holy relic. So it's, that's a funny, that's a funny pet peeve of mine. Um, all right. So that this is the, uh, the tower card. So this became the tower, but in the tradition of the Tower de Marseille, it's, le, le, I'm going to mispronounce it, Les Maisons du, which literally means the house of God, literally means the house of God. And in Hebrew, the house of God is Beit El. People, a lot of people have said Beit El in their lives. They don't realize it when they, when they say Bethel, like Bethel Hospital or Bethel Synagogue. Bethel means Beit El, which means the house of God. Um, in and Paris, Maison, France, the Maison Dieu is very different from the, the lightning struck tower, the fallen tower, as they're often called in some decks. Right, right. It's very so. The, um, I mean, I imagine the house of God is very biblical, whereas the tower is far more. Um, it's far more universal. And also, you th- you think more of the um, tower of the Babel, tower, yeah, the tower of Babel or Babel, Babel, as opposed to that. In but and it just and it's and it, and it's it's interesting to me. It's interesting to me how few people have actually read the Bible. Like it's it's kind of fat. It's fascinating to me. Like. Like if you read, if you if you actually read the Bible, you know, if you, if you really sat down and read the Bible, you would know that the house of God is a is a is is a reoccurring object of of, import, of great importance. And you know, so the the house of God was the name of the temple in Jerusalem that was built by Solomon. Uh, it was destroyed by the Babylonians, then it was destroyed again by the Romans. So it was destroyed twice. Um, and in Judaism, there's a, a major holiday every year called Tisha B'Av. Uh, which is the annual day of mourning for the destruction of the temples. Um, and, and so if, so first thing, so Tisha B'Av, it literally means, Tisha literally means ninth. Av means, is, is the name of a month, it's the 11th month of the year. First of all, if you see in the sky, there are nine golden flames and there are 11 spots in the sky. So it's the ninth of the 11th. Can I see? So this is the kind of thing that would, that would just go uh, you know, go right past a lot of occultists like me, because we, when we count these for things to look for messages, we don't have the same Jewish lexicon that you have for number symbolism. We're looking for different numbers, and so exactly. we would see exactly. this: a Christian occultist or a Western uh, non-Jewish occultist would see this and be like, "Oh, it's eleven and nine. If only it were ten and twelve, then there might be <laughs> something there." Right. But right, right, right. this, so this is exactly. So, uh, it's like, it's like when you when when you put this through a Judaic lens of understanding, it tells a very different story. So this is you know, um, so Tisha B'av is the ninth day ninth day of the eleventh month again, and this is so these are these are just like three graphics I stole from online. These are like these are like uh, clip art graphics for about Tisha B'av online, right? And it's, when you, when you, any article on Tisha B'av, it's going to have a picture of a tall building that's on fire. That's Tisha, that's Tisha B'Av is the day in which you don't eat and you cry and you're really upset because the, the, you're, you're remembering when the, when the house of God was destroyed in Jerusalem. And what you find is that in, in this card, um, all these elements, all, there's so many, out there, all this card is comprised of very specific quotes in the book of Ezekiel. So Ezekiel famously, Ezekiel's, Ezekiel's actually one of the most important books of the Bible for the development of Kabbalah because he had, he, had a, he, had, he had a vision of the coming destruction of Jerusalem. He also had a vision of the divine chariot. Um, so he saw um, an angel, with, he saw four angels with four faces and four wings, uh, and they were surrounded with these burning coals of fire. 
and when the, and the so the Holy Blessed One began to describe to Ezekiel, he said, "Listen, I, I'm I'm giving a, um, uh, a a judgment against Jerusalem. I'm coming to destroy the city." And he gives this very harrowing destru- description of how parents will end up eating their children. Um, a third of the nation he's going to kill. A third will starve to death. A third will be scattered like sand. Um, and as he's describing this, he tells the angels to collect the burning goals and to scatter them. Uh, all over the city, and he says, "I'm going to remo- I'm going to remove the turban and lift off the crown. I'm going to make an utter ruin of the city. I'm going to cast them to the four corners." Um, and you start so the, all, all, all these elements, and I'll go through. There's even there's more. So the, he's all these elements are, are 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 references to the Book of Ezekiel. If you see these windows, these windows are in the shape of the Ten Commandments. Um, the Ten Commandments were kept in the holy, the holiest of the holies within the ark, the, the ark of the covenant within within Beit El, within the house of God. Um, if you count the, I, this, may be a coincidence, but if you count the thorns, there are eight thorns in the crown. There are thirty globes in 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 the air. The two temples stood for a total of eight hundred and thirty years. Um, so there's always like little lessons of Torah. Um, I mean, if you were going to hide uh, the Jewish story in in tarot cards then of course the next step is to make sure that the right people know that's what you've done by embedding these kinds of clues exactly like this. So it, it really is convincing. I must say, like, I did not expect to be this convinced, um, though oh, yeah, your Instagram is, uh, yeah, it was like, Oh, sorry. I'll just let you continue. Cause I love this. Thank you. So there's, a, there's another quote. So when, when Ezekiel, um, uh, I don't have the actual quarter. So Ezekiel is brought in, and he's um, he's he's shown a hole in the temple wall. He's shown a hole a hole in the temple wall. And he breaks through the hole, and he sees all the he sees all the temple priests. They're praying to uh, a foreign god. Off, off uh, uh, they're they're not they're not uh, facing Jerusalem. They're facing a foreign god off in the east. And um, when Ezekiel tells when he tells him this prophecy, one of the priests falls down dead. So he announces that there's a coming judgment against Jerusalem from the wrath of God. And there's this, and, and it describes this one priest immediately falls down dead. And then Ezekiel throws himself on the ground. And he starts begging for mercy. So there's like a depiction of this hole in the wall. There's the priest falling down. All right. So now this, now we're going to get a little detail. So, so one of the things I try to convey to people is that this deck is a work of genius. It's like, there's no, it, it's truly worthy of that word. And, I, and I'll give you an example of just how much thought is put into this card. So the um, the sixteenth letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Ayin. This is Ayin, and this this figure is a is in the shape and form of the letter Ayin. Ayin is the sixteenth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. If you count the rows of bricks of bricks in the tower, you will find that the tower is broken at exactly the sixteenth layer. All right. Now. On, on Tisha B'Av, we read a book out loud called Eicha, which is Lamentations. Everyone gathers, and there's a, there's a very sad tune, and someone sings out the book of Eicha. And the book of Eicha describes kind of the, the collective mourning for the destruction of the temple. Now, uh, Eicha is what's called a Hebrew acrostic, where every verse of Eicha begins with another letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the first letter begins with Aleph, then it goes Bet, then it goes Gimel. However... The Hebrew the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet, is broken at the sixteenth letter in Echa, where usually ayin becomes before pe, but in Echa, 
Pei comes before ayin. The ayin drops. What? And if you notice, if you look here, the ayin is dropping. The ayin's falling. Why is that? So the people ask, why is the olive bet broken in Eicha? Why is it broken? Ayin is a hominin. It actually, it actually also means eye. Ayin means eye. Pei also means mouth. And they say the second temple was destroyed because people spoke evil with their with their mouth before seeing the good with their eyes. So he's he's summarizing here the learning the the, the core moral lesson of of Tisha B'Av is visually summarized here. So you can see like you know the way I'm teaching you right now like I believe this is the way people use this card. They would sit around and the rabbi would say. And the reason Ayin is falling is because the people, they spoke evil with their mouths before seeing good with their eyes. They were using this as a tool for secret education. That's my theory. Man. That's, that's, that's speculation. I don't know for sure, but it's like the level of detail in this card is, is magnif- it's magnificent. So many people like myself have been, uh, I think, waiting for you for a long time, or at least let's, <laughs> you know, to be less messianic about your work and, and uh, contributions here. We've at least to say been banging our heads against the wall saying something's missing because, you know, we've got these like 20 something occult influencers who are trying to cancel everyone who who's Judeo-Christian and uses tarot because they belong solely to the Romani people. And and, you know, my buddy put out a, a deck called the Gypsy Tarot and they went after him because you can't say that word at all. And not to mention the fact that these are not allowed to be used by Christians and never were used by Christians and certainly not right. by Jews. So there's this whole pop culture, pop occultism uh, 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 brigade of of kids uh, doing all kinds of shenanigans, like getting it. They get people deplatformed off the Internet, you know, with their vitriolic mob yeah. stuff. So they're going to come after us for this, of course, but that's OK. They're, they're <laughs> But the rest of us, the rest of us, the the adults in the community have been saying there is a major disconnect between the emergence of these cards in the you know the Visconti deck and the in the the Catholic uh, wealthy elite um, having custom decks made, then into playing cards, and then all of a sudden, you know, Victorian occultism. Essentially, there's something. There's a step missing, and yeah. this is just so persuasive. Like. Like obviously, I have to get this deck now and start, uh, you know, using it. Though even though the, the the symbolism is again, I would need a book like the book that you need to publish to be able to really appreciate this. And of course, I you know I I I, I work with Hebrew as much as I have time for, and uh, just getting to learn through this lens is really exciting. It's really really exciting because it's it's instructive of how. How the rest of us can like because there's nothing wrong with people putting out new tarot decks and new oracle cards and telling their own journey through whatever religion or neo-paganism they choose through visual images that's a that's a beautiful thing to do why not make as many as you want um and and the fact that christians did it with or the rosicrucians of the golden dawn did it with with their with their you know with the smith deck and then other antecedent decks uh, preceding decks this is the missing piece, I'd say, and it's instructive to the rest of us of, of not just validating uh, the narrative and mystical occult symbolism buried within them, but as a tool for learning and teaching, whether it's through meditation and pathworking or, or even, uh, you, know, you know, didactic instruction, as you're pointing out, it might have been used here. Right. Right. I mean, and that's, I mean, one thing, um, I'm very interested in 
you know, um, first of all, thank you so much for this conversation. I'm really, I'm really enjoying it. I, you know, I, I, um, delightful. It's, it's, well yeah, worth skipping the live stream from Doctor Sledge, the Sledgehammer, who you, who will probably want to talk to you after he sees this because he's he's Jewish and and also has the Esoterica channel, which is you know has two hundred and fifty five thousand more subscribers than my little channel. Though my podcast is actually quite large, just I'm not big on YouTube. Um, so you, this will still get thousands of listens. Uh, well, I you know I, I find um, uh, the the most the, the most precious gems are the are the rarest ones, right? So the, the, uh, you're a gem, brother. Believe it, believe it or not, I don't. I, 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 popularity is another. It's a, it's another it's another game. Um, but I'm I'm very interested in you know because I, I you know I'm not a I'm not a fortune teller um, or I guess that, or I'm not someone who really engages in divination. Um, I, I'm actually brand new to that world, and I'm very uh, and I've I've learned a lot. Uh, I've you know there's a, there's there's some things about the the tarot or new age world that I like. There's some things I don't like. What I really do like is I've I've really grown um, I've grown a lot of appreciation. You know in I never, I never really grew awareness of this until from Tara. Is that I never really realized that there's this, there's, um, there's kind of like a separate being who lives inside me, who like fetches information, right? I don't. There's like this, like it, there's like this, like, and I think you know, uh, I think uh, Socrates had a term for like a daemon. They would daemon. call it, or they, yeah, yeah, daemon. Like there's this creature that fetches information for you, like, and I never, and it, and this, and this creature is kind of like master of your imagination. And like when I when I meditate on these images and it and I don't know why it served up what it did, but I but I, I have a lot of respect for Tarot as a, a as a as a powerful tool for exploring parts parts of our of our of our psyche that are really neglected or ignored or just not spoken about. I really have a lot of respect for that. And I and I say that as someone who's kind of really very new to this. Um so I think there can be a real interesting um conversation here between the world of of torah and agadah and midrash and 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 kind of partnering it with it as a tool for developing one's imagination or uh, capacity for intuitive and creative thinking you know when you when you show me this deck as you have it's not egyptian symbolism and art that comes to mind it's it's first signs wall paintings of the of early cave dwellers and early human the first humans who were doing cave art like this is what this reminds me of actually because the symbolism is i don't know the right word is for it it just it that's what it's, it reminds it, me of it of, of, for me it's very pri- it's very primal, primal, it's, like primal. Very, it's like it's it's like you're you're removing some of the decorations, or it's becoming it's becoming yeah. simpler, but more somehow more vibrant in a lot of ways. Yeah. So with the Egyptians, of course, you could tell that you can tell they were expressing symbols uh, developed out of a sophisticated form of thinking and interpretation. Um, yeah, but here it feels more like yeah, the symbols are, are primal and. Um, and in some ways, even though you're pointing out all the symbolism perhaps buried within them, um, meant to be indicative of of just, you know, just our basic instincts, um, right? You know, the the fiery tower and the person falling, um, you know, the dismembered limbs and in different cards. Uh, just yeah, it's uh, fascinating. Um, so it's like this this confluence of of. Uh, of hidden symbolism as you're showing through the through the through the Hebrew text and all these 
you know, esoteric knowledge, knowledge that you would have to have to interpret the symbols, which is why someone like me would miss them because I don't know the, the significance of these numbers of 11 and stuff like that in, in, in yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, I mean, that's why, um, but the images uh, just punch you in the gut. So it's like this combination, right. this one, two thing of like primal cave images mixed with, um, actual embedded secret, secret knowledge. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that's interesting. So, you know, in, that's what I was trying to identify. Was this right. So, so I, you know, they're a fortune teller. I've had a couple of fortune tellers, I guess, read, you know, tarot readers who are like, you know, I want to know the Jewish readings. And I tell them like, well, I, I'm happy to tell, I'm happy to share with you. I don't know if that's going to make you a bad tarot card reader. It actually, um, it actually might destroy your ability to be a tarot card reader. Right. Cause like totally. the, the cards are powerful as a, an imagination tool, explicitly because you don't know what they mean right it forces you to conjure up a meaning it forces you to work i like for me they're kind of dead as a tool for magic because i know what they mean I'm like oh that just means this they, they, they've become just like words for me and words are not you know so there, there's a there's a there's a paradox here or a point of tension here so see so it works for me because uh as a as a in the tradition I come out of, which is the you know Rosicrucian Golden Dawn stuff, we don't use the tarot primarily for readings. We use it primarily for journeying. Conflation, yeah, that's uh, right. So for me, this whole all of what you're providing would be assisting assistant to my practice because it gives me a doorway into uh, not only the Hebrew Bible but that the culture and the ethos and the history that I wasn't aware of before. So I could then go and read the associated text, say in the chapter of your book, read about the history, the practices, mm. the culture, the era, the, 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 the temple burnings that you're talking about, then go to the card and then enter into it and have an experience, an imaginative journey based on that era or that time or whatever happens to manifest for me and, and, and have that kind of thing. So, so it's actually, a, it would be a very powerful doorway into not only Jewish history, but the Jewish imaginative ethos. No, that's very beautiful. That's very beautiful. That's what's so listen, exciting I'm, to I'm, me about this. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, th thank you so much for the conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm running a little short on time. So yes, I, I, yes, I know. Th thanks so much. It was a real, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if the viewers know this, but this was a real spontaneous last minute thing. So, yeah. uh, but, it, but for me, this was a really lovely exchange. Thank you very much. You're very welcome, and well, and obviously, some uh, occult publishers. There's boutique ones that you should probably go to. Publishers like, you know, they they're doing nice work. Like here's Scarlet Imprint, and here's uh, Theon yeah. Press, and they do short run stuff. But this yeah. is the kind of book treatment that I think your work deserves. And so hopefully, we'll say it's tough. It's tough because it's it's. Uh, hopefully, you'll get uh, something moving with this. It's yeah, I, 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 it'll happen eventually. I don't, I don't yeah. want to, I don't want to, I don't want to rush it with the wrong partner. But um, no. and uh, my my real motivation is right. to, yeah, that, that's a longer conversation about the 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 book publishing industry is in a a moment of crisis. But that's a, that's a longer conversation for another day. It's actually but, uh, it's in its heyday in the occult world. All right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to know what we're spending on books. You don't want to know. <laughs> Very good. Very good. So I was thank you. Know, Arzik, pleasure meeting you. And if and listen, if you, if in a in a few weeks you want to do a follow up, because you're, I, I imagine there'll be follow up questions. Yeah. I'm, I'm more than happy to have another conversation. This is great. Let's. I'll put. I'll. I'll make. I'll frame it that way and make sure I get as many questions as I can, and we'll do a round two uh, as soon as possible because this is just very exciting, and I'm sure you're going to get a lot of feedback. Um, yeah.
Thank you so Thank much. You. Have a good afternoon. Yeah, yeah, have a great day. Blessings. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Diving deep into the practices and reality tunnels of the esoteric and the occult, check out Praxis Behind the Obscure podcast, where I interview practicing occultists, do book reviews, and much more. Check us out on YouTube, Red Circle, and many other podcast platforms.